So this chant is called, we call it uh, calling the devas. And deva <coughs> means heavenly being. And a lot of them are around. I don't know where you land on that idea, but um, helping us in various ways, perhaps. And um, this chant calls them from the forests and the fields and everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to set that here. Oh, yeah. Paritawa nametang sametta badanta avikita chitta paritang banantu samantra chakravale suatraka chantu devata Sadamang munirachasa sunantu sakamokatang Sake kame charupe girisikaratate chantalike vimane Dipe drache dagame taruvanagahane kehavatumike te Puma chayantu deva chalatala visamaya kaganda panaka titanta santike yang munivaravachanang sadabo me sunantu Buddha dasanakalo ayang badanta Dhamma savana kalo ayang badanta Sankha parirupa sanakalo ayang badanta So now we'd like to share with you the Noble Eightfold Path Mantra. Moment. So can you see that mantra? Yeah, thank you. So that's, you know, the mantra which we'll do every day. And we just chant, you know, three rounds of the Bali words for the eight components of the Noble Eightfold Path. And they are, you know, subdivided into three areas. The first one is wisdom, panya, second one ethics, sila, and Samadhi concentration. So, you know, we, you can all chant along with us and by the end of the retreat you're going to be very good at it, I'm sure. Samadhiti Samasankapa Samavacha Samakamanta Sama Ajiva, Sama Vayama, Sama Sati, Sama Samadhi, Sama Titi, Sama Sankapa, Sama Vacha, Sama Kamanta, 
Sama Achiva, Sama Vayama, Sama Sati, Sama Samadhi, Sama Titi, Sama Sankapa, Sama Vacha, Sama Kamanta, Sama Achiva, Sama Vayama, Sama Sati Sama Samadhi. So and now uh, I am going to share for you the simile of the mountain. Yeah. So we're going to take a look at this relatively short discourse of the Buddha. Okay. And it's actually a uh, kind of a sweet story, I think, as the Buddha is teaching the king of Kosala. Sorry. Just give me a moment. Yeah, yeah. doing fine. Thank you. Can you make that a little bit bigger? Totally. Totally. What? The screen, the words. Oh, the words. Okay. Yeah, I can, can I? I Let think me you see. Can. Um, yeah, maybe here. Give me a moment. Zoom yeah. in. More? Yes, a little bit more. Yes. Good? That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Good. So this is called Simile of the Mountain, and some of you may already be familiar with it, but we want to take everything, even if we already have uh, exposure to these things, as with as fresh a mind as we can to maybe see what might be different coming out to us in the context we're in right now. So this is a... a one of a number of times that the king of Kosala, King Pasinidi, came to the Buddha to visit him. And there are a number of suttas that describe various things that the king uh, learns from the Buddha. And the king didn't start out to be a big fan of the Buddha. His wife was, his chief queen, Malika really uh, really loved the Buddha and had so much faith and eventually uh, through exposing the king to the Buddha's teachings he became extremely devoted to the Buddha. So I'm going to read and I'll explain uh, things a little bit along the way. So the simile of the mountain. At Savati, King Pisenity of Kosala sat to one side and the Buddha said to him, so, great king, where are you coming from in the middle of the day? Sir, there are anointed aristocratic kings who are infatuated with authority and obsessed with greed for sensual pleasures. They have attained stability in their country, occupying a vast conquered territory. Today I've been busy fulfilling the duties of such kings. So basically, he's been being a king, <laughs> doing doing the kinds of things that are part of his job. And the Buddha, who came from a family that uh, ruled in their country, which was uh, an area right next to Kosala, next to the 
kingdom of King Pisenity. He had a really good idea of what those things were that the king would be doing. And then he says to him, oh, what do you think, great king? Suppose a trustworthy and reliable man were to come from the east. He'd approach you and say, please, sir, you should know this. I come from the east. There I saw a huge mountain that reached the clouds. It was coming this way, crushing all creatures. So then, great king, do what you must. So we can get that picture of... It's a little hard to... I found it a little hard to envision at first. A mountain coming from the direction of the east that's so huge and it's just crushing... It's moving like an iceberg or something, crushing everything in its path. And then the Buddha goes on to paint this picture a second trustworthy and reliable man were to come from the west and say the same thing, a third from the north and a fourth from the south. And he'd approach you and say, please, sir, you should know this. I come from the south. There I saw a huge mountain that reached the clouds, and it was coming this way, crushing all creatures. So then, great king, do what you must. So then the Buddha says, should such a dire threat arise, a terrible loss of human life, when human birth is so rare, what would you do? Well, sir, what could I do but practice the teachings, practice morality, do skillful and good actions? I mean, clearly the king's response is coming from some long history already with the Buddha. You know, like, what can you do when you know there's inevitable destruction coming, you just you fill your heart with love and you do the best things you can in the time you have left. That's basically what the king is saying. I tell you, great king, I announce to you old age and death are advancing upon you. Since old age and death are advancing upon you, what would you do? Sir, what can I do but practice the teachings, practice morality, doing skillful and good actions. Sorry. I don't know. It's okay, it's hard, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is so that that image, that very striking image taken right down to the situation we all uh, find ourselves in. And so, you know, as we, as we are well aware, we have a hard time keeping track of the fact that aging and death are advancing in on us. Well, some days it's easier to keep track than others. <laughs> anyway. Today was a good day. Today was a good day for us. <laughs> um, maybe I'll clue you in on that a little later. <laughs> um, so, so um, he says, Sir, there are anointed aristocratic kings who are infatuated with authority and obsessed with greed for sensual pleasures. They have attained stability in the country, occupying a vast conquered territory. Such kings engage in battles of elephants, cavalry, chariots, and infantry. But there is no place, no scope for such battles when old age and death are advancing. And this, I don't know if you've had this experience in your life, but I know for me, my father died very suddenly when I was 40 years old, and I got a taste of this kind of suddenly so many things that I thought were important just didn't matter anymore. And I think this is what the Buddha is trying to say to us. We don't have to wait 
for something big to change in our life, we can take seriously what our life means to us and do things that really are adding, what I want to say, depth and beauty, um, wisdom. So in this royal court, there are ministers of wise counsel who are capable of dividing an approaching army by wise counsel. But there is no place. So actually, wise counsel is not quite the right um, translation, I would say. It's more about just, you know, um, subterfuge. You know, they, they can divide an approaching enemy through subterfuge through getting inside and causing people to distrust each other or other kinds of ways to, to break them up. But there's no place or any scope for such diplomatic battles when old age and death are advancing. And in this royal court, there's, an abundant, there's abundant gold coin and bullion stored in dungeons and towers. Using this wealth, we can bribe any approaching enemy but there is no place, no scope for such monetary battles when old age and death are advancing. When old age and death are advancing, what can I do but practice the teachings? And by the way, the teachings here is actually the Pali is the Dhamma. So practicing the Dhamma, um, which always for me feels a little deeper than just what's being taught. It's really the way things actually are. Practicing in accordance with the true nature of reality, practicing morality, doing skillful and good actions. That's so true, great king, it's so true. When old age and death are advancing, what can we do but practice the teachings, practice morality, doing skillful and good actions? That's what the Buddha said, and then the Holy One, the teacher, went on to say, suppose there were vast mountains of solid rock touching the sky drawing in from all sides and crushing the four quarters. So too old age and death advance upon all living creatures, aristocrats, brahmins, peasants, menials, outcasts, and scavengers. They spare nothing. They crush all beneath them. There's nowhere for elephants to take a stand, nor chariots, nor infantry. They can't be defeated by diplomatic battles or by wealth. That's why an astute person or a wise person, seeing what's good for themselves, being wise would, would place faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Whoever lives by the Dhamma, in body, speech, and mind, is praised in this life and departs to rejoice in heaven, or a good future life. So I imagine there might be some portions of this teaching that you might find really strikes the heart um, with its truth. There might be other parts that some of you are unfamiliar with or maybe like, I don't know if I believe that <laughs> or agree with that. And those might be worth investigating somewhat too, just to see uh, kind of where these teachings are going to take us. In terms of our interest of what's happening in our world. One, one thing we can take from this teaching is that 
there's always been destruction. Yeah, you could stop sharing. Aging and death has always been uh, coming in on everyone. And there has always there have always been natural disasters and um, wars and famine and disease and you know all kinds of things that have happened to populations and to individuals over the whole of human history, the whole of the history of living beings. And yet, you know, we feel at this time like we're facing some particularly huge challenges with what's taking place in our world. And I'd like to invite you to reflect upon how this teaching of, you know, that, that shows the timelessness of the situation in one sense and the poignancy of the situation we're in at the moment in another sense. And um, I'd like to open the floor for any questions or comments you might want to make about this. If you're able to raise your electronic hand, if you have I'm questions. Sure yeah, yeah. And also, if I may add, you know, where it is very clear at this time, you know, that the the changes, you know, on the planet are, you know, due to the way how we are acting. We as Homo sapiens, you know, have been setting certain certain things in, in motion, you know, which have we have un destabilized, you know, the planet's natural capacity for, for self-regulation. And that's that's a very unique situation because at the time of the Buddha, you know, there was not such, such technology wasn't available and there was no... Or the number of people. Or the number of people. You have a small population, it kind of doesn't almost matter what they do, but we've yeah. got... You know, there were only two and a half billion people on the planet when I was born. Yeah, and now we are eight. Yeah, and so, you know, it's it's happened, seems like it's happened in a short time to me, <laughs> in, uh, relative to the long span of, of history. Yeah, and so, how long the teaching is around. Yeah. yeah. So it is a very, a very different situation in that sense, you know, that we are really directly involved in really speeding up those, you know, mountains crashing in onto us, right? Yeah, in some in some ways, the severe yeah. weather events and more pandemics uh, coming with more frequency, etc. And this isn't to, like, um, belabor things that you already know about, but it's to really take this chance to step back and look at what matters to us and how we can develop our own stability in the face of the mountains. So like King Pisenity, he's actually, you know, stepping into a space that he can stand in, you know, do virtuous things, do compassionate, kind things, live according to the Dhamma. There's a, there's a, a place of stability there. So I really see our time together this week, over these five days, as an opportunity to do two things. One is to really develop our own 
stability, resilience, um, capability for coping and being present with our own feelings and working through them to stabilize ourselves, to develop our own strength. And the other side is really reflecting on what matters to us, what's important, what we want to do if, you know, if there are some area that we want to put some attention that maybe we haven't had a chance to do yet. Or maybe we've already been engaged and we want to just like look at the, the value of your engagement in things. And that takes a very broad scope, mm -hmm. what one might want to do in response to the situation we're in. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.